0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord as we've sung that song when the night is holding on to me, the reality is there are plenty of people in this room night right now and the night is holding on to them. They are in a valley. There's darkness all around them. As we sang earlier, their enemies are many and they surround them. So God, I want to stop and, and I want to pray for them, and I want to pray, Lord, for uh, that. Lord, you would give them the endurance uh, to make it through this season. And that Lord, you would fill them with your hope, and Lord, you would fill them with your peace—a peace that doesn't make sense in the middle of your enemies, a peace that doesn't make sense in the darkness. But as Psalm 23 says, that you have made a place for me, you have set the table for me in the presence of my enemies. They are not alone there. You are with them, and you're good. And Lord, may that song reverberate in their hearts and in their minds to speak that truth to them over and over and over again. You are good, you are good, and you're holding on to me. So God, this morning, would you provide them comfort? Would you provide them hope in your son, Jesus? We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're really glad you're with us this morning. We've started the new year talking about prayer, and this is our third week talking about prayer. The very first week, we we established that prayer matters. It actually changes things. God loves us so much that he allows us to participate in his work through prayer. It's remarkable. We realize that our desire for God is what drives us to prayer. Last week, we talked about praying like a child, praying earnestly, praying honestly, praying constantly, persistently, and believing in the God that we pray to. And before we continue this week, I want us to agree on one foundational truth and that is this, that prayer is about God. Prayer is first and foremost about God. Now listen, that might not sound like crazy and wow, Grant, that's really profound, but, but it is. Listen, because usually when we, the, the way that we pray in our culture and people who maybe they're believers, maybe they're not, maybe they're nominal believers, when do we most commonly pray? We pray in times of crisis, Last Sunday uh, was my grandmother's um, 84th birthday. And uh, so we went to her house and we were spending time with her. And, uh, and as we spent time together, she, I noticed she had something I'd never seen before, uh, which was this necklace that had this nice little button on it. And there was nothing in the world I wanted more than to press that button. Uh, but my grandmother, she, she told me what that was. I said, please, grandmother, tell me what that button does. Is there like, does it release confetti? Are there balloons? right? Is there like a sound it'll make? Please, what does this do? Does it keep you alive? What does it do? And it's her life alert. Maybe you've heard of life alert, right? But if she falls and she can't get up, she presses this button, right? And it, and it calls life alert or whatever. And I'm so glad. I was I was curious. I asked her, I said, how did you, do you have to like qualify for it? She goes, no, you just pay for it. I said, so I could get life alert. And she goes, yeah, I guess so. And I was like, so you're telling me if I'm sitting there and I'm about eight episodes in of my favorite TV show on Netflix, right? And I am just like, I need to go to bed, but it's really far away. You're telling me I can hit a life alert and they'll carry me to my bed? And she's like, no, you, you can't get life alert. That is, not, that is not for you. But oftentimes like our prayers, they are, they're life alert. That's how we treat God. Our prayers are the life alert. When a time of crisis hits, that when we, that's when we call out to God. Now listen, that is not wrong. We talked last week about praying like a child. Be honest with God. He wants to hear you when you need his help. He wants that. He wants those prayers. So I'm not telling you that that's wrong. However, if that is the only time we pray, if that is the primary time when we pray, if we treat God like a life alert necklace, then we've missed the point of prayer. Because prayer is primarily about God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first in prayer, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, teaches us to pray like this, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer is centered around God. It is about God. It is about what God wants, which might sound scary because we think if it's about God and what he wants, what about me? What about what I want, right? If I keep asking God, God, would you do what you want? Would you give me what you want to give me? What about what I want to give me? What about what I need? What about that stuff? Well, prayer being centered around God is great, great news because God takes our joy seriously. He takes our joy seriously. He always has, and he always will. Think about the creation account. Go back and look in Genesis and look at the creation account. What is that? Think about that first moment when he he has everything there. He's just created this beautiful creation, and here's Adam, and he's showing him his creative power. Isn't that a moment of joy? Don't you think that was an incredible moment of joy? Do you think Adam was just walking around, and he was just like, that's cool. That's an interesting little thing. I see what you did there. No, what is that? God. That is joy. God's joy is full as He gets to share His creation with with Adam, whom He loves. And Adam's joy is full. Let I me mean, just imagine that walking through creation with them. Adam, look at this. Look at the mountains I've made. Adam, look at this waterfall I've made. Adam, look at this eagle soar through the air. Adam, look at this dog I created. It'll be your companion. Adam, look at this cat. Wait a second. I didn't make that. Where did that come from? Right. But just imagine as God takes him through the garden, the joy that was there. And we taste that joy too. When you go out in nature, doesn't that do the same thing for you? Don't you get a glimpse of the joy that God has for us in creation? I do. Have you ever stood at the mouth of the Grand Canyon and just been in awe of what God has done? Have you ever gone to the mountains and just overlooked the beauty of the mountains and been in awe of God's creative power? Have you stood with your feet in the sand and just watched the ocean uh, slap against the shore and just be in awe of what God has done? That joy that we feel is just a glimpse of what God has seen. About he is serious about our joy. He was from the beginning, and he sent Jesus to restore our joy. At the beginning, we went our own way, and we said, "Yeah, God, this joy is really great, but we can probably figure it out on our own. We're going to go this way." And so God sends Jesus to reunite us to His joy. Check this scripture out: John fifteen nine through twelve. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my command, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus just revealed, I want you to follow my commands. Why? Because they are a roadmap to joy. I take your joy so seriously that it pleases me. When you do things that please me, it pleases me to give you joy. And so Jesus comes and he says, hey, look, this is the way the Father wants you to live. And guess what? It's a roadmap to your joy. God has always taken our joy seriously and he always will. So prayer being centered around God is a good thing because there is no one, not even you, who takes your joy as seriously as God does. Now, why do we need this why do we need to remember this right now why why now we just talked about praying like a child why now are we talking about this because I thought about last week and I thought about you going out and praying like a child and I thought about that experience I thought about the joy there but then it made me think about my own relationship with my children and it made me think about the times when I upset my children the most you know last week we talked about daddy prayers you know, when you're desperate and you're just constantly calling out to God, Daddy, 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 help me. Daddy, 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 I need this. I need that. That's, that's real life. You know that. If, if you've ever been a kid, you've done it. If you have kids, they've done it. And so when I think about my kids, they are constantly asking, constantly requesting, Daddy, 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 give me this. Daddy, 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 let's go do this. Daddy, 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 do this and that and whatever. I want this. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And the times I, I crush them more than any other times is when my response is no. Or, or maybe my response is wait. And that just melts them every time. Absolutely just melts them right where they're standing. And when I think about going out and praying like a child, our Father will respond the same way sometimes. Our Father will say to us, no. We will bring our deepest longings and our greatest desires to him and God will say, no. We will bring this desperate prayer to God. God, move here, do this. And God will say, not now, wait. And in those moments, just like my six-year-old or my four-year-old or my two-year-old, in those moments, we are just as crushed. We are just as demolished as they are when God says those things to us. When we don't get that response, we respond a lot like my daughter. My daughter, this is her signature move. If I tell her no, or she doesn't get her way, her signature move is to turn and scream like I'm Godzilla and cry and run as far away as she can from me. She will go upstairs, she will slam her door, and she will sit there. But, you know, I've gone out there sometimes and she doesn't go all the way to her bed. She collapses right in front of the door. Do you know why? So she can put her mouth right on the crack of the door where it meets to the floor and scream out the door so that I can hear her. She's brilliant. She's gonna be like a Bond villain one day, I'm telling you. But anyway, we have the same response. And here's my goal for today. You will hear those responses from God. At some point, if you haven't already, you will hear those responses from God. Pray like a child, absolutely, but sometimes our father will say no. Sometimes our father will say, wait. And my goal for today is for us to to know how to handle that well. To instead of having the response of my daughter of running away, pushing God away, we would instead draw closer to him, which by the way, spoiler alert, is his design. For the no, It's his design for the wait, it's to draw us closer in. So let's start here, when God says no. Let's start when God says no. We don't respond well to no. I don't respond well to no. I, I still, I don't care who you are. I don't, I don't care what you're telling me no to. I don't respond well to no. I want what I want. I want it now, right? And you're the same way. We all are. Our children are the same way. You know, I mean, when you say no to a child, that can lead to pick any one of my kids, tell them no in the middle of Walmart and we will probably get kicked out. Like that is their response. They melt down and I'm the same way. And when God looks at me and he says, no, when I'm bringing my desires to him, when I'm bringing what I want to him and he looks at me and says, no, I do not respond well. And you probably don't either. And I would say we have the same natural response and our same natural response is to hold on. That's our response is to hold on. What I mean by that, is, is the request we bring to God, even though God has said no, we hold on to him anyway. I still want it. I still want it. I'm still going to believe I'm going to have it. And we just hold on to it tight. And what does that do to us? Well, sometimes it leads us to anger and it leads us to resentment. As we just sit there and hold it and we say, God, I, I wanted this job, but, but you never let me have it. And, and here's my shattered dream. And it just fuels this resentment. It fuels this anger in us. Sometimes we hold on to the no's, we hold on to the desires we want. It leads us to despair because God said no to this and I still think this is my best hope. I still think this is the best option for me and God said no and I'm going to sit here with it in despair. There is no hope anymore and it just causes us more pain. And so our natural response to God telling us no is we want to hold on to our request anyway. And it's either gonna lead us to be angry and resentful to God, or it's gonna lead us to despair. But here's the good news. With God, we have another opportunity to respond. We don't have to hold on. Instead, God's response to us is let go. That's God's response, let go. That dream you had that God said, no, let go. That, that, that request you had, just let go. And how do we do that? Here's how we do that. Because if God takes our joy seriously, and he tells us no, then he's giving us an opportunity to let go of a lesser joy to lead us to a place of greater joy. If God is taking our joy seriously, he is not going to shut down your path to greatest joy for a path of lesser joy. That's not what he does. He takes your joy seriously. So if you're holding on to something, if you're bringing something to him, that will that will, that might bring you happiness, it might bring you joy, but it's not the greatest joy. When he says no, he's protecting you. He's leading you to what is best. Remember what Ephesians 3.20 says. We said it last week. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Remember, he only gives good gifts, and he only gives good gifts that are above what we could ask. They're above what we could even think or imagine. And so God says, you know what? I don't want your path to lead you to a place of lesser joy. I take your joy seriously. So let go of that and let me lead you to a place of greater joy. In the weight of glory, C.S. Lewis wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God looks at us. And he's offering us a beach vacation, all expenses paid, this incredible season of joy. And a lot of times our requests, as important they are to us, are like us sitting in a slum playing with mud pies. God takes our joy seriously. He takes our joy seriously more than we do. God cares about your joy more than you do. And he knows the best way to get there. So again, we can let go. We can let go of our deepest desires. We can let go of our biggest dreams, and we're safe to do so because God will always lead us to a greater joy. Now, listen, that does not mean that His no will lead us to a pain free place. That does not mean that His joy will lead us to an easier place to be, but it will lead you to His greatest joy for you. I was trying to think of the most extreme example of no. I could find in the scriptures. When has God told someone no? And, and the, the way I found it, the one I found I believe is the most extreme would be Jesus in the garden before he was uh, betrayed. So we see Jesus going into the garden and he's praying to the father. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to face the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. In Matthew 26, verse 39, listen to this. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus had a prayer. If it's possible, let this cup pass. Pass from me. I know what's waiting for me there on the cross. It is your wrath for the sin of the world. If it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Was Jesus' request earnest? You know what I mean? He says, if at all possible. So was it really earnest? Is that really what he wanted? Well, you tell me, look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus was earnest to the point of death. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, thinking about facing the wrath of God for our sins. So did he really mean it when he said, if there's any other way, could this pass from me? Yes, he meant it. Yes, that was his cry. And God said, no. There is no other way. And yes, my will be done. And where did it lead Jesus? To suffer and to die. Where else did it lead Jesus? To his greatest joy. Check this out, Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord told Jesus no, and then He said yes to His will, and it led Jesus to suffer and die, and also to the greatest joy for Him. That's where it led Jesus to joy. So the Lord's path is not the path of the greatest comfort; it's not the path of the least resistance. But in, but in fact, it is the path of the deepest joy and the greatest reward. So God's no will lead us into His deepest joy and greatest reward. So. When God tells you no to healing, let it go. When God says no to the career change, let go. Has God told you no and you're still holding on? And that bitterness is growing and that despair is growing. Don't be bitter, let go. Don't despair, let go. And trust that God takes your joy way more seriously than you ever can. But you know, as we think about God saying no, what's worse than no? What's worse than God saying no? No response. That's probably worse than no. I mean, we have uh, we have four kids, so our house is super loud. It's super super loud all the time, and so in our house, uh, my my boy Jude. Uh, my middle boy, Jude, is uh, my little artist. He's always drawing. We took it, we were at the uh, dollar store, dollar general something, dollar something, right? The, uh, the place where people with way too many kids go. So anyway, we went to one of those stores and Angela said, hey, there's this little like cheap toy section. Everybody pick out one of these little dollar toys. And so they're all picking out toys and they all buy something that uh, immediately broke at home uh, and they tried to swallow. And so then uh, Jude did not want one. You know what Jude got? Jude wanted a, a pad to draw in, he wanted markers, and he wanted glue, because he likes to cut out shapes and then glue them onto his drawings. He's my little artist, and he has a sweet and sensitive heart. The way he sees the world, he's got this really sweet way of seeing the world. He's, he's really, really special. But you know, the, the side of that being so special like that, he's very, very sensitive. And so as his heart can be so filled with joy at certain things, his heart can break so easily too. And so sometimes our house is really loud and Jude will come up to me and he'll be talking to me, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'm doing something else. Maybe I'm doing something for another kid. Maybe I'm just going to my happy place in my brain so I don't just want to die. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but he's just daddy, 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 daddy. And he's asking me things over and over again. Sometimes I don't hear him. And whether it's because of the noise or whether it's because of whatever other distraction, I just don't hear him. And that crushes him. If I tell him no, that's bad. If I tell him no, he might pout. He might walk into the room and pout. He has this incredible just poochy lip he does. It's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it must come out to here. It's incredible. You ever, seen, uh, you ever seen Forrest Gump? You know Bubba? That's my son, right? Like he's just like, he's just out there and he's all upset. But when I don't say anything, he will just, he will just melt into the floor. Like he will lose it. And he always says the same thing. Daddy, you're not listening. Why aren't you listening? And that just breaks my heart, you know, when he says that. That just absolutely breaks my heart. And my response is always the same, son, I love you. I'm sorry. I don't know why mommy wouldn't be, let me listen to you. But anyway, like, she'll, let's forgive her. And I'm so sorry, and I love you. When we get the same response from God, it crushes us in the same way. Like a no I can deal with, a no I can mourn and move on from. What do I do with no response? What am I supposed to do with that? Listen to King David. He's kind of in the same place in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. There's pain in his life. There's a quest he's throwing up to God and he's not seeing any response. He's not seeing any action taking. But you know, as I was preparing for this, I asked myself a question. I don't think I've ever asked myself when I think about the perceived silence of God, and this is it. Is God really silent or is he perceived to be silent? Is God really silent? I mean, absolutely, cold shoulder, silent, or is he perceived to be silent? And I think this, I think it's a perception problem. I think he's perceived to be silent. I think we perceive there is no answer. We go through valleys, I don't deny that. We go through desert places, I don't deny that. Where it seems hard to find him, the the joy that was so easily found in the morning with God is now no longer there. I completely admit that. But God's complete silence is a perception problem. I don't think it's reality. And we need to trust his promises over our perceptions. And let me say this. One, I believe that he, God, speaks constantly constantly. He may not be speaking to your individual need. He may not be speaking to your individual requests in that moment, but he never stops speaking. When you look at it, think about the way he speaks. Creation, Romans 1, creation is constantly speaking about God. No one can shut up what creation says about God. His circumstances, Romans 8 says that he works all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purposes. So our circumstances are speaking of God to us. His people speak to us. Matthew ten twenty says that he fills people with his holy Spirit so God speaks to us through his people His word is always speaking something incredible happened last Sunday last Sunday night uh, Angela was praying with the kids I was bringing wit home I was a little bit behind them and my oldest my six-year-old he said to Angela I want to ask Jesus into my heart and so he did that very night and so Monday night I got to sit down with him we can up we can clap for that all right that's good news that's good news. So Monday, I get to have this conversation with him and I, I'm just talking to him. What does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? And he says, well, it means that I love Jesus. And I said, that's exactly right, son. And that means that you love him more than anything else. And he looked at me and he just couldn't wrap his head around. It. He said, more than anything else. I said, yes. And he said, more than pineapples. Now, listen, I don't know if my son's ever seen a pineapple. I don't know why his brain went there, but he is wonderfully weird. And so he says, more than pineapples. And I said, uh, yeah, I guess more than pineapples. He says, more than you and mommy. Yes, more than, more than my brothers and sisters. yes. You're to love him more than anything. And I said, do you know what it means when we love him? That means that we wanna make him happy. We don't wanna hurt him. We wanna do what makes him happy. And God tells us, what makes me happy is you do what I say. And so I said, son, that means that for the rest of your life, you're saying that I wanna do what God says more than anybody else, more than what mommy and daddy want from me. I want want what God wants, more than than what my friends say to do. I wanna do what God says to do. And Max looks at me and he says, he's just got this incredibly puzzled look on his face and he goes, how do I know what he wants? And I said, that's the good news, son. We had just read the Bible together and I said, he tells us, we don't have to guess. He tells us in his word. His word is constantly speaking, even in the valleys and he's constantly present. That's one of the the messages of, of the perceived silence of God is that we're abandoned. Look at what David says, why have you forsaken me? Had God truly forsaken David, or was that his perception? Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so our perception says, God is giving us this silent treatment, but the reality is he speaks even in the valley. So where does this perception of silence come from? Why do we have it? You might say, I hear what you're saying, but this is how I feel. Why do I have this perception that God is silent towards me? I think a couple of reasons. One, sin may be in your life. There might be sin in your life. There might be some things, some rebellion that you're not dealing with or you're not dealing with sternly enough. He, uh, Isaiah 59 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Is there sin you aren't dealing with? Because reality is, God is speaking, but are you listening? Are you listening to another master? Because we're listening to another master, we can't hear God. So maybe there's some sin you need to deal with. Or maybe, that's what we'll spend the rest of our time talking about, maybe this silent time might be a time of waiting. God's perceived silence toward you might be his way of telling you, just wait, just wait. Either wait for your request, wait for my response, whatever, just wait. If you have a Bible or you have a smartphone that you can uh, navigate fairly well, look at Psalm 37. Look at Psalm 37. This is a psalm of David waiting. He's been told by the Lord. There's this perceived time of silence, and it's God telling him, wait. So he writes about it. Psalm 37, look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices what's he saying here wait it's not easy it's not easy to wait on the Lord injustice is happening all around you wait there's all of these terrible things evil is prospering and it doesn't look like God is moving wait Wait on the Lord. Look at verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. You might have little as you wait. The wicked have an abundance. This way, this path over here that doesn't honor the Lord, there's a lot of rewards over here. And, and over here the, for the righteous, it's, it's just a little bit. And so over here, you might say, it's not easy to wait. So why do we wait on the Lord? Look at verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times and the days of famine, they have abundance. You will not be put to shame. You will not be made a fool when you wait on the Lord and he will provide for you. The little of the righteous is better than the abundance of the wicked. The Lord will be there for you. Waiting on him is better. And be persistent in that time of waiting because God is going to use that persistence to build endurance in you. When I think about the times in my life where I've had to wait on the Lord, Lord, I want this to happen. Would you move here? Would you do this? And and, and I get nothing. And the Lord's just saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. In those times of waiting, the Lord has has stretched me and he's grown my endurance and he's grown my trust in him. And I'm a better pastor for the waiting. I'm a better husband for the waiting. I'm a better follower of Jesus for the waiting. He does great things for us in the waiting. And don't just take my word for it. Church, can I ask you that real quick for a testimony here? Would you just put your hand up if you have been in the waiting as God has done great things for you? Would you put your hand up if you're a better follower of Jesus because you've had to wait. Isn't that amazing? Look around. God is working in us in the waiting. And I started to think, God, would you give me an example? And again, another extreme example of you working in the waiting. And it doesn't get any more extreme than possibly the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. Jesus has this message delivered to him that Lazarus, his friend, is sick and he's close to death. And so Jesus does nothing. He waits. He sits for a couple of days and waits So Lazarus dies and he gets there and his heart is broken over the death of his friend. And he eventually, what does he do? He calls Lazarus out of the grave. He raises him from the dead. Jesus is told Lazarus is ill. Who sent him that message? Probably Mary and Martha, his friends. Send this desperate message to Jesus. Our brother, your friend whom you love is sick and he's close to death. Help us. Send this message to him. And what does Jesus do? Wait, wait. He doesn't tell them his plan. He doesn't say I'm coming. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He just says, wait, wait. And Lazarus dies. Why does he do this? Why in the world does he do this? We don't have to guess. Look at John 11, verse five through six. We'll put it on the screen. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why in the world did Jesus wait? What does it say right there in verse five? Because he loved them. Hang on a second. I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to make my brain work here. What do you mean? He loved them, so he waited for their brother to die. He loved them, and so, so he delayed. Why? Because he was going to do something incredible for them through the waiting. He was gonna do something they couldn't ask or think or imagine. If they would just wait He has something great. But no, I can't wait. There's death at the door. And Jesus is saying, I have something greater than you could possibly imagine. Wait, just wait on me. And he does the same for us too. He does great things for us in the waiting, if we would. I mean, look at it. The waiting leads us to a greater desire for God. Think about Mary and Martha desire for Jesus to show up and do a work. They watch their brother grow weaker and weaker. They watch their brother get to death and even die. Their longing for Jesus was probably no greater than any other time in their life than in that moment. Why is that a good thing? Because the greater the desire, the greater the longing, the greater the joy. Think about that moment when Jesus shows up and they see what he does and they see him bring their brother out of the grave. Does that even come close to the joy they would have had if Jesus had healed him before? No. They had this deeper longing for God. They were hungry and thirsty for God to work and they were satisfied with a greater joy they couldn't imagine. So this greater desire that God just just begins to work up in us in the waiting time leads us to greater joy, which leads us to what? A greater intimacy and trust in God. Think about David, back to Psalm 22. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Later in his life, much later in his life, he writes Psalm 23. And that's a very famous Psalm. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard it, right? And, and, and in that Psalm, what does he say? the lord oh he's he's my shepherd i i don't i don't need anything i've got him i'll never want my enemies oh yeah they're still there all the problems yeah they're still there he sets up a table for me right in the middle of them what's going on here psalm 22 David waits and he has this deep desire for God. God, where are you? Would you show up? Would you move for me? Would you do this here? Would you rescue me? And he has this deep desire and he's hungering and he's thirsting for God. And so absolutely, at some point, God does show up. He does see the work and there's this great joy, David has. And now he has this deeper intimacy and trust with God so that now, many years later, there's still enemies around him. And then he says, but yeah, I'm good. Yeah, God's with me. He set up a table for me in the middle and they can't touch me. Not with God with me. He's my shepherd. I don't need anything. Where does that come from? It comes from the work God did in the waiting. So while you wait, God will make you thirstier for himself than you ever have been before. God will make you hungrier for himself than you ever have been before. But remember Jesus' words, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. Praise God that in the waiting, he makes us hungry and thirsty for him. The second thing he does in the waiting, the waiting exposes the weaknesses of our idols. Martha was a fixer. Anybody else a fixer? Like you see a problem, you just gotta get it done. You just gotta get out there, get it done. Let's get it fixed, right? You're a fixer. Martha was a fixer. Whatever needed to be done, she would take care of it. Think about it. Jesus shows up at her house to eat. Mary's just sitting there hanging out with Jesus, just wanting to talk to Jesus. What you gotta say? What's Martha doing? I'm gonna feed everybody. Jesus, who'd you bring? These disciples, fine, I'm gonna feed them. Is there somebody outside? I'm gonna feed them too. Mary, would you get in here? We gotta fix this problem. We gotta get this food done. That's, that's Martha. So her brother Lazarus gets sick. What does Martha do? Fixes. I'm Martha, Mary's over here. She probably, I don't know, she's gonna pray or something. I'm Martha, I gotta get to work. My brother's sick. I've got this home remedy. It always works, and then it doesn't. My brother's sick, the home remedy didn't work. I'm gonna change his diet. This always works, and it doesn't. My brother's sick and these things didn't work. I'm going to send word to Jesus and he'll show up and he'll fix it. So I'm going to send my, I'm, I'm just going to do this and then I'm going to see the result that I want. And Lazarus dies and the idol of her strength is exposed as weak and untrustworthy. Do you think when Jesus showed up, there was one ounce of confidence in her own strength left? In the waiting, God could expose the, the idol of her, of her own strength. And I'm not saying she had it. I'm not saying she's had it. I'm using it as an example. I am not putting that on her. I have no idea. But if that was there, if that fixer side of her was there and she, she trusted her strength more than anything else, God used this waiting to expose the weakness of her idol so that she could be free of it. So when Jesus showed up, there was nothing she trusted more than him. And think about how desperate you are in the waiting. God, do something. How desperate you are for God to do something. What's one of the reasons you're at that point? You're so desperate. Because you tried everything else. And your idols and your other strengths are failing. Everything else you've ever trusted is failing. And what is God doing? He's exposing them as weak so that you can be set free from their control. I think about I've talked about this before, but I think about that year where we were in and out of the hospital with my daughter with her breathing issues, in and out of La Bonner, admitted, sent home, admitted, sent home, admitted, sent home. My ability as a dad was weak. I could do nothing. The abilities of the doctors was weak. They could they couldn't diagnose her. They didn't know it was wrong. I couldn't trust it. The comfort of anything else in my life was weak. Nothing comforted me. All of my resources are not enough. In this season of my life where I called out to God, do something for my daughter. Do something. And the Lord says, well, just wait. Just wait. In this season of waiting, the Lord revealed that all of my idols, all of the strength that I believed I had in myself, all of the strength that I believed existed in these doctors and in the hospitals and all the strength that I trusted and all these other things to comfort me were revealed as what they are. They are weak and they'll fall away. And they're nothing compared to the strength of God. And God in His kindness allowed me to see those weaknesses so that I wouldn't trust them any longer. So that in that moment, when God finally moved, I was able to say, there is no one else I trust. I am desperate for you. All of these other idols, I want no more. I will trust no longer. I see them for what they are. And I see you as the only strength. Maybe God... In the waiting is allowing you to see the weakness of your idols. And he's allowing you an opportunity to be set free. To not trust your resources anymore. To not trust your own strength anymore. To not trust your own intellect anymore. But to trust him completely. God does incredible things for us in the waiting. What do we do in the waiting? How do we respond? Real quickly. Psalm 37 tells us, verse 7. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. So what do we do? We seek the Lord. We go to him. And we wait. That's what we do. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like, one, you stay in his word. Psalm 37, 31 says, The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Remember that he is speaking in the waiting. His word is always speaking. Stay close to his words. Second, keep praying. Give thanks First Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We often ask ourselves that question in the waiting. God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for me? If you just tell me, I would do it. Well, he did. Rejoice in everything. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice, give thanks, pray. Rejoice, give thanks, pray. That's his will for us in the waiting. And thirdly and lastly, don't wait alone. Don't wait alone. Our band's going to come back up. We're going to get to respond in song together. But I would give you this, this right here. Be around his people. Be transparent. Ask for help. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, Two are better than one person because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. In this season of waiting, God hasn't removed you from his community of believers. He surrounded you with people to help you in the waiting. He surrounded you with people who have a mandate from God to weep with those who weep. He surrounded you with people who have a mandate from God to carry and to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So don't wait alone. Now listen, that might be uncomfortable for you. I want to make a, a confession here. This is incredibly uncomfortable for me. I, I, I hope that when I'm up here and, and I'm sharing things from God's Word and I'm sharing things from my life, I'm hoping that I'm being appropriately transparent. But I've got to be honest. When I'm going through a difficult time, I am not a transparent person. I do not want to share that. I know where it comes from. I'm prideful. I'm grossly prideful and arrogant. And I don't want to share it. I don't want to share my weaknesses. I don't want you to believe that for one second there's a weakness in me. I know that's silly. I know you see it. If I open my mouth for longer than 30 seconds, you hear it. I know that. But that's the pride in me. And so, so oftentimes, God has surrounded me with people to help bear my burdens, to help me, to carry me along in the desert place, to walk with me through the valley, and I choose to go it alone. Is God with me? Yes. But do I suffer more than I have to? Absolutely. Why? Because I'm ignoring the wisdom of God. He said, there are people around you. Walk together. Bear each other's burdens. Give them that joy. So as we close and we respond in song, if you're in the waiting, if you're in the valley, don't go it alone. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask some of our our elders to come forward. And we're going to be down front. If you need to come pray with us, come pray with us. If you're in the waiting and you need someone to pray with you in the waiting, come let us pray with you. If you need to just come kneel at these steps and offer your prayer afresh to the Lord, do that. And I'm going to say this to our people in the congregation. If you see someone at the steps, go pray with them. Go stand in the valley with them. If you need to move around the room, maybe there's someone you know you need to talk to. Maybe there's someone's words you know you need to hear. Then go to them. But may we not let the enemy do what he does so well, which is to divide the people of God so that he can devour us so easily. So let me pray for us, and then we'll respond. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you for your word thank you for not abandoning us to the desert places thank you for not abandoning us in the wilderness but instead you hear you're with us you speak you provide support and comfort God help us now take the courage to respond well It's in Jesus' name, amen.